Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 26. Last time we looked at uh, Gethsemane, and, and um, you know that passage just really moved me. Just uh, the holy ground, really, that it is. And, you know, there with Jesus, um, the prayers of Jesus and, and how he prayed and, and just what he was doing, you know, facing this trial, the trial of, of his upcoming arrest, which we'll talk about this morning, and, and really the example of, of Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane on so many different levels. What do you do when you're facing a trial? You pray. How do you pray? We'll see how he, he prayed. And, and, and for Jesus, we say, well, yeah, but he was God, and so for him it was different. But he was also fully man. He, he faced things in this life. He felt things. He could become sorrowful and, and felt overwhelmed at times in the, in the pain of this life. But he who knew no sin became sin for us, and that was really what it was all about. He knew what was ahead, the anguish the trouble that he would be forsaken by his father, that he would bear the sins of the world, he would face his terrible execution at the cross. He took his disciples with him, it says, and, and yet in the end he went further, it says, he was totally alone, all alone before the father. He fell with his face to the ground and he said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And that was Jesus' prayer. Submitting to the, the will of the Father. Not my will. I don't know about you, but, but I think for the most part, we're pretty, we're pretty uh, stubborn and, and uh, you know, we want what we want. You know? I think it's part of the sin nature. Do you think so? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to teach a child how to be stubborn. I've noticed that. You know, my, my little granddaughter there, she's just turned two. And no one ever sat her down and, let me teach you the fine points of stubbornness. She already knows how to do it. The, the other day she was, she was, you know, she didn't want her lunch, right? For no reason at all. It's not like, well, it was like, you know, some kind of weird vegetable or anything else. She just didn't, she just was not, I didn't know, I'm not going to eat it. And her mom said, okay, well, then you'll eat it at dinner time. And she put it away for dinner. She brought it out at dinner time. Okay, here's your, here's your food. Oh, I don't want it. No, she would not eat it. Okay, well, then you'll have it for breakfast. This kid, this kid is two years old. She's not eating. She's got to be starving. You know she's got to be hungry. She brings it out at breakfast time. And she's like, she's famished now. She starts eating this thing. She finds a little green bell pepper in there. She says, oh, I'm not eating this anymore. There's a bell pepper in there. I mean, she finally ate the whole thing, but, but no one ever taught her how to just say no and just, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to fight against, against what my parent wants. Jesus, submitting to the Father's will, he said, not what I want, but what you want. His plan, not ours. What does it take to pray like that? It really takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? Trust that he knows what is best, that he knows what is good and what's right for me, for my life. And in this particular case, what did the Father say about his prayer? He said, no, that he would not take away. There was no other way. He would not take away the cup. 
It was his will. And yet he strengthened Jesus to get through what he had to get through. His disciples, on the other hand, they, they could barely stay awake. You remember he told them to watch and pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. And what good advice is that for you and for me that we need to watch, be vigilant, and pray beforehand, not wait until we get to the trial and say, oh God, get me out of this now. No, we need to pray ahead of time, pray in advance. God, I'm, I'm just trying to follow you today. I don't know what I'm going to face today, but I want your strength. I want you to guide me. I want you to, to, to lead me not into temptation so that I won't fall into temptation. Because Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's, it's true in all the things that we face raising children. We want to do the right thing, but our flesh, you know, we get tired. Well, I don't really want to take, I don't really want to deal with that right now. But the, the spirit is willing. And, and God, if we pray, he will give us the strength we need. So finally, there in uh, verse 46, chapter 26, he says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It was time to go and face the battle. He wasn't going to run. He says, let's go and get into the thick of it, to the middle of the battle. The time for prayer is done. We need, we need to get up now and do what we need to do. And, and, and for you and I, too, we spend those times in prayer, but we can't just stay locked in the closet. We need to get up and go and do what we need to do and face what we need to face, knowing that God will strengthen us when we get there. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. While he was still speaking, it, it all came together. Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And we talked about Judas, and we're going to, we, we see he's kind of woven through this whole account, and and. At the beginning of chapter 27, we're going to see where he commits suicide. We'll talk about suicide and that, that whole thing and, and, and uh, Judas in particular. But Judas, one of the twelve, we saw he was, he was one of the twelve. He was so close compared to you, even you and I. He was so close to Jesus, but he was yet so far. And, and, and he, he knew all what Jesus had taught. He saw him do miraculous things. He was even used to go out and spread the gospel, the truth, and when they were sent out two by two, yet his heart didn't belong to Jesus. His heart did not belong to Jesus. We can be, we can be in the middle of things and our hearts are not there. That's what it was for him. So we see it here now in the middle of the night, the night before the cross, and this large crowd comes up with Judas, and they have all the swords, and they have all the clubs, and, and, and they're sent. They have, they're on a mission. In verse 48, it says, The betrayer, that's Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. This is about the arrest of Jesus, and how was it to be brought about? He was going to be betrayed with a kiss, a sign of affection, a sign of respect. It was a common form of greeting. In many places, when you greet somebody, you will give them a kiss on the cheek and, 
and they'll give you a kiss on the cheek. And, and so it was a common form of greeting. But, but the, the language here, uh, when he actually goes through with it, it says that it, it was more intense than just a greeting. Looks nice on the outside, though. But what about on the inside? What's really there? Again, we just mentioned that, that, that his heart really wasn't in the right place. He, he went there, and, and, and it really wasn't what it appeared to be, that he was going just to greet Jesus because he really cared about him. He, he really loved him, he, and, and, and he went there and, and greeted him like that. But there was a whole other thing going on, was there not? Betrayed with a kiss. Jesus said in Luke, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He actually asked him the question, is this, is this what you really want to do? Over and over, he, he, Jesus had been giving these statements to Judas. Is this, is this really what you want to do? Confronting him with, with his actions. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. Is this really what you want to do? Do you really want to go down this path? Are you going to down this path? Are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Verse 49, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Notice he says, Rabbi, he doesn't say Lord. Again, there was something huge missing in this relationship that, G that Judas has had with Jesus. He thought he was a good teacher. He called him rabbi. And, and there's many, many in the world today that think Jesus is just a good teacher. He, he, he says a lot of good things, you know. He said the golden rule. He said cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, just checking to see if you're really listening here. He didn't really say that. I mean, people talk about that like it's gospel truth and it's from the Bible. It's not really. But he did say the golden rule. I got that one right, didn't I? Yes, he did. Talk to him after. He is a good teacher. There's no question about it. He's the best teacher that was ever walked on the face of the earth. But he was way more than a teacher. He wasn't just a teacher. He was the Son of God. He was Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who would, who would meet the need that the whole human race has for a Savior. I want you to turn with me to, to the Gospel of John, though, chapter 18. John 18. This is kind of an interesting thing that happens at this little juncture. John 18, verse 4. They came and they were carrying all these weapons. They were also carrying torches and lanterns. In verse 4 it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and they fell to the ground. Judas is standing there. This is, this is incredible. This is what I call being slain in the spirit, I think. Yeah. They fell to the ground. Why? Because of the power of God. 
I don't want to get into that whole thing about being slain in the spirit. That's a whole other subject I didn't want to get into right now. Ask me about it. But the fact was, when Jesus said, I am he, they couldn't even stand up. This is no teacher. This is no ordinary man, no simple teacher. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, standing there, and he says, I am he, and they fall to the ground. Judas then comes and, and you know, confirms what he has said with this kiss back in Matthew 26. Verse 50, Jesus replied, friend, friend, do what you came for. Isn't it interesting? Jesus still calls him friend. Jesus knew all what was going to happen. He knew the part that Judas would play, and he still calls him friend. He still calls him friend. This is the love of God. This is, this is what we talk about loving your enemies. Even for Judas, the love of God was there. He, he called him friend. And again, I, I see this again and again, giving him opportunities. Friend. But he says, do what you came for. Some translations see this as a question. Why did you come? Why are you doing what you're doing? It says, then the men stepped forward. They seized Jesus and they arrested him. I want you to notice here that he offered no resistance. He offered no resistance. Why is that? He could have. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus, he offers no resistance at all. And the reason is because it was time. He had been speaking over and over again that my time had not yet come. There was a time that he knew that he was here. He had a purpose on the earth, and that purpose was to go to the cross. And now the time had come. And so he, he, he was simply submitting to the Father's will. Was it an easy path that he was facing? No, of course not. We know that. But we know, we know that as he had prayed, he knew that it was the will of the Father and he was willing to do whatever God the Father wanted him to do. Jesus offers no resistance. His disciples, on the other hand, they, you know, they're not quite understanding. Maybe it was because they were sleeping during the whole time of prayer and so they really didn't understand what was supposed to take place, what their part was in this whole thing. In verse 51, it says, With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, and he drew it out, and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. John tells us that this was Peter. We, we talked about the, uh, you know, the, the denials of Peter and, and the fact that, that Peter, you know, for, for, yeah, the fact that he denied the Lord, but, but he also, he was willing to do whatever it took. But you have to kind of look at what he did. Was he doing the right thing here? Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, it was obvious, like, hey, something's going down here. They said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. 
They asked the question, but they never waited for the answer, right? Sometimes we pray too, but we never wait for the answer. We just say, Lord, is that what you want me to do? And then go do it. We never wait to see if that's really what he wants us to do. And so Peter gets out his sword, and he didn't wait for the answer. Talk about being impulsive, and that's kind of like his personality. He can say, well, that, that's just my personality. I do that. But, but just being impulsive and, and having even zeal to do a right thing, to do a good thing, can end up being disobedience, right? Because we never wait for the answer. And the answer, what Jesus' answer, look at verse 51 there in Luke uh, 22. He said, but Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear, and he healed him. No more of this. He said, no, I don't want you to do this right now. Can't you see? I'm not fighting against them. And that's just, this is what he says and back in, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. He says, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He said, no, this is not my will for you to be doing this right now. There is a time to fight, but now is not the time to fight. Now is not that kind of battle. Now is not what, what you think it is. This isn't a battle of swords. In John chapter 18, Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. He says directly to Peter, says he commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Am I going to fight my way around God's will? You say, well, how could anybody do that? But we do that. Peter was doing that very obviously here. You and I do that as well. God has made his will clear to us, and we try to fight our way out of it, try to fight our way around it. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, are you going to get in the way? We know earlier, remember, when, when, when Jesus was giving uh, his disciples a little forewarning that the cross was going to come, and, and, and Peter took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him, it said, because he told him he was going to, you know, give his life. There's something about allowing... God's plan to unfold. But sometimes we just need to stop and let God's plan unfold. We need to stop, be still, and know that He is God and that, that what His will is. We, what happens is that, that you and I, we take matters into our own hands. I, I do that all the time. I take matters into my own hands. Instead of stopping and waiting God and praying, God, what is it you want to do? Waiting for the answer and then letting God's will unfold. Sometimes we lash out and we don't really understand. We don't really know what God wants. It's kind of interesting, though, we read just now in Luke 22 that Jesus, he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Some say he was really trying to cut the guy's head off, but he, he wasn't really that good of a swordsman or whatever, and he just got his ear. But, but Jesus came and he, and he touched the ear and he healed this man's ear. And, and uh, he's kind of cleaning up his mess. And doesn't he do that with you and I as well? We kind of mess things up. And we, we, we get out in the flesh and we do things that we think. But, but he's, he's, he's still faithful to kind of 
come in and help get the situation right, clean up after us. David Guzik uh, says this. He says, uh, with his sword, Peter accomplished very little. He only cut off one ear. And he really just made a mess that Jesus had to clean up by healing the severed ear. But when Peter moved in the power of the world, he cut off only ears. But when he was filled with the Spirit, using the Word of God, he pierced hearts for God's glory. You read in the book of Acts, what a difference after receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. What, what, what incredible things happen. Thousands come to know Jesus. Warren Wearsby says this as well. He says, Peter, a fisherman, he tries to be a soldier and win spiritual victories with a carnal weapon. We need to remind ourselves Christ does not need to be defended. We fight Satan, not flesh and blood. And the weapons we use are spiritual, not fleshly. And Moses made the same mistake, and he had to spend 40 years learning to let God fight his battles. There's consequences, like, like Warren Wiersbe pointed out. Moses got, in, got all into it in the flesh, and he, he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert trying to, trying to figure out how to submit to the will of God. We are in a battle, but it's a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we have spiritual weapons, 2 Corinthians 10 talks about. Spiritual weapons. We've got to be very, very careful not to just jump out in the flesh. We're so ready to jump. And then we find out, oh, I should have waited. I should have prayed. I should have taken a little bit more time. We're trying to defend Jesus like he needs to be defended. He said to them, don't you think I can call on my Father? He will put at once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now, how many angels is that? Does anybody know? Huh? 72,000 angels. 72,000. That would be enough to deal with this little crowd of, of uh, guys with the swords and spears and, and, and lanterns, Right? He could, have, he could have easily just dealt with it. He could have easily just got rid of them, just knocked them all down for good. They fell down once just by his very presence and his word. He could have called in angels. They could have just been just completely demolished. But he didn't. Why? Because he knew what the Father's will was. He had already settled the matter in prayer, you see. He'd prayed beforehand. He was ready. He settled the matter in prayer beforehand that, God, whatever you want, that's what, that's what I want. He comes to this place now. They're ready to arrest him. They've come and they've grabbed him. Judas is doing all that stuff. But he was simply submitting himself to the Father's will. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to actually do what God says to do. He gets to this particular place. He could have fought. He could have gotten all involved and in, in, in said, yeah, Peter. But he said, no, that's not the way. The Father has said, this is the cup. This is the way. This is the will. And he was willing to go down that path. Look at verse 54. 
He says, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? The scriptures had to be fulfilled. The, the will of God must take place. He was well, ready and willing to do what God said. You and I can pray as well and say, not my will, but yours be done. And then the circumstance comes and we jump out, we lash out, we take things into our own hands. But we need to follow through and say, not my will, but yours be done. As hard as it is, as difficult as, as it is, I want to do your will and not mine. And the blessings and the fruit will come out of that obedience. Verse 55, at that time Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. I found his question intriguing in that he says, am I leading a rebellion? You see, he wasn't leading a rebellion. He was not the rebel. Who, who were the rebels? You and me. We are the rebels, you see. He's not leading a rebellion. He came to heal the rebellion. You and I are the, are the rebels, and, and, and it's the sin in us. I, I mentioned earlier about that stubbornness and that sinfulness, that rebellion that you and I have in our very beings that we fight against God. But he came to fix that. He came to heal that. He came to restore a relationship between us and the Father. All the disciples, they deserted him and fled. We're going to have communion now. And I, I just want to, to remind ourselves of, of who we are and, and why we need the cross so desperately. All the disciples, they deserted him and fled. And, and this wasn't just Peter. They all said they were going to be there for him. And they all deserted him and fled. And, and you and I are really included in all here, the all of deserting him and fleeing and, and not being willing to stand. But someone said these words. They said their world was crumbling. The teacher who had held forth in the temple was now under arrest and the, the treasure had become a traitor. And the garden sanctuary that had been always safe was turned into a place of confrontation. What confusion and fear took its toll. Jesus' growing isolation was now complete. He would face the cross alone. He had to do it that way. Just thinking, you know, what, what if they had not deserted him and fled? If they were there and they were, you know, all taking part and supporting and all this stuff, well, in the end they would have said, didn't you see how we helped you out? They would try to take a little bit of credit for it and a little bit of glory. Well, didn't you notice how, you know, I was there, I was mopping your forehead during, you know, these different things that took place? No, he had to do it alone, completely alone, totally alone. He was, he was the Savior. He was the Savior of the world. He went to the cross for us, for you and for me. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm a rebel. I was, I, you know... Just the, the, the way I grew up and learning just to survive. You have to learn to fight. But you know what? We need to submit, not fight. 
We fight sometimes the wrong battles. We fight against God instead of with him and for him. He died in my place. The love of God for you and for me. That's why we partake of communion.